Why don't you grab a seat? This is a very formal church, you know. This... We're not really. Grab a seat and I will make a start. If you're joining us this morning for the first time, we're right near the end of a series that we've been going through together about something called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was a creed that was written in the 300s, and at the heart of it was a brilliant summary of the teaching of the Christian faith. What, what they used to do is when people would get baptised, that they would be taught the creed, because it was such a great summary of the faith. And so they would say, do you know what, do you believe all of these things? And they would say yes, and then they would be baptised. And the truth is there are so many things that we can get distracted by. You know, we can get utterly distracted by life. And also we can get distracted by different theological debates and opinions about a whole range of different issues. But in the vineyard, we always want to stay focused on what's central to our faith. And what we refer to in the vineyard as this phrase, the main and the plain. The main and the plain. We always want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And so that's what we've been looking at for the last five weeks. We've just been going through some of the core tenets of the Christian faith. And so I have the joy of continuing it this this morning. And so for those of you who don't know what the Apostles' Creed is, I'm just going to read it for you just so that you might go, oh yes, okay, that's what it is. And it should just come up on the screens. It says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Some pretty amazing words. And today, you might be really pleased to know, because some of my last talks have been pretty full on, I'm only picking one phrase. Yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yes, but the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is quite big. So having said that, I have got four hours worth of talk. So settle in. No, I don't really. 25, 25 minutes, bear with me. But I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yes, I do. That's what I would want to start. And I would want to say that he is the greatest gift you can imagine. When you think about it, the Holy Spirit is God deposited into our hearts. What happens when we become Christians, when we say yes to Jesus, and we're like, Jesus, I want to follow you. A lot of the songs we've been singing to Jesus, what happens is he gives a deposit of himself that comes to live in our hearts. God makes his home in our heart. Isn't that the most beautiful image? And we have a choice as the Holy Spirit lives within us, we have a choice of whether we let the Holy Spirit become alive and listen to what he says, or we have a choice as to whether we shut him down and ignore him. 
And that's really what's going on. For the first 17 years of my life, I was brought up in a good Baptist church. Have we got any, any Baptists here? Yeah, a few. None of them said anything, but they put their hands up. Interesting. Yes, there we go. So I was brought up in a Baptist church. We read the Bible. We prayed. We were reasonably devout. I would go with that phrase because, you know, when you look at some people's devotion, you're like, well, I wasn't that devoted as them. But we were reasonably devout. But if I'm honest, we missed the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we didn't ever really talk about the Holy Spirit. I was very clear on God the Father, and I was very clear on Jesus. But apparently, I got to 17, and there was this third part of the Trinity that I'd never really heard about. It's like, oh, this is the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit was generally ignored. Now, when I was 17, my parents came into contact with the vineyard movement of churches. And it was, it was a time in the mid-90s when there was a really powerful renewal in the church. That was particularly in the UK and Ireland, the States, Canada. God, God was doing some amazing things. And my parents were profoundly, profoundly impacted by the Holy Spirit at this time. Quite simply, they met and encountered the Holy Spirit. He turned their life upside down. So what changed? Well, as a 17-year-old watching on, watching your parents change is a truly incredible thing. Because sometimes when you're a bit younger, I think that you think that older people are never going to change. That might sound really rude, but... You're, like, you're just going to be the same forever. So to suddenly watch your parents completely change is an amazing, amazing thing. So what was it that changed? I watched them become free. That would be how I would put it. They became free. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As they encountered God's spirit, they became free. What do I mean by they became free? Well, they started showing something called the fruits of the spirit. In the Bible, it talks in the book of Galatians about the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things. And so what happened in front of my eyes was they began to change. There was this lightness, there was this peace, there was this joy over them. Now that is a very confronting thing as a 17-year-old who absolutely believes in Jesus, but is 17 and not quite sure what they're doing in life. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I knew God, I did not know God, but I think I was kind of in that space where I was like, oh, is this really for me? Is it my parents' faith? What's going on? You have those moments. So to look at them changing, just changed me. So I had this moment where I started chaperoning them to some of the things that they were going to. I was like, what the Scooby is going on with you two? And my mum had always had this refrain, there must be more than this. There must be more. You know, it's like, is what we're seeing the fullness of what God has for us in this earth? And so they started walking in the spirit. And the number, the, there were two things more than anything else that changed for me. It was the joy and the peace. 
those two things, joy and peace, that when you see those in people's life, you can't ignore them. And so for me, I began to go on this journey at the age of 17 of exploring who the person of the Holy Spirit was. Who is this? And this vineyard church today is a consequence of my parents' desire to encounter the Holy Spirit. Because it changed my life. Their life was changed. I saw that they had changed. And I wanted to know what it is that had changed their life. What was it? What, where are you? And so I started going to some of the things that they were going to. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm beginning to understand. And at that moment, God put something in my heart. It was like the whole world has to know about how good God is and how incredible his Holy Spirit is. Somebody came up to me earlier and they just said as they came in today, that, you know, he's like, I just really feel like the Lord's asking me to share about the joy of the Holy Spirit. He used those exact words. I don't think that he knew I was speaking about the Holy Spirit today. That there's joy in this place. And that's available to us. In the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 1, it talks about, so I'm talking about, I'm talk, really talking about a gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this, and this is Jesus, on, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, sorry, this is Jesus who gives them the command, he gave them this command. This is to his disciples, this is before he had ascended to heaven, Jesus is sitting with them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as I was preparing this talk, I could not get over this concept of this gift that we've been given of the Holy Spirit. Then we bang into chapter 2. It goes through. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So the disciples have been waiting. They've been waiting for this gift that they had no idea what it was. They, they knew about the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The gift had arrived, bang, into the room. Now, what is so incredible is that the same gift that was available at Pentecost is available to every single one of us who says, Lord, I want to follow you. That gift is available. And I felt like the Lord saying, do not ignore the gift. Do not ignore the gift. I have given you this incredible gift. Do not push it to the side. When you say yes to Jesus, he lives inside you, but it is so easy to just push him down, to push it aside. Let him make his home in you and it will begin to change your life. This is not one of those gifts to take back to the shop to get a refund. This is a gift to be experienced moment by moment. My prayer is that you be immersed in and inundated and drenched by his spirit. Now it's interesting reading about the promise of the spirit in verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised. So what's this promise? Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was said to be on, with, or in Israel's leaders. 
So especially anointed leaders were able to act by the Holy Spirit to express God's power or to express God's will. For example, if you look back at the book of Judges, uh, Judges 3, 9 and 10, here's what we read about Othniel. It says this, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. So the Spirit of the Lord came on Othniel so he was equipped to lead. Moses, another some, somebody that you might, you'll be, wow, it's really going on. You sit in there thinking, man alive, I want to be in that room. That is the Spirit. It's broken out. In power. Pentecost is going on in that room back there. I hope. I'm pretty sure Patrick's leading that group who is South African. And it could be to do with celebrating the World Cup win, but I don't know. Anyway, I was talking about Moses. Moses was especially endowed to lead by the Holy Spirit. But Moses, there's this really interesting bit. He complained that he couldn't leave God's people alone. And so we read in Numbers 11, 16 and 17. This is a fascinating passage. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you to carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. This is a moment. Moses is completely overwhelmed. Everybody's coming to him being like, oh man, I've got to sort this problem out for me. And Moses is like, I'm dying here. Jethro, his father-in-law's looked at him and been like, you are dying. You need to sort this out. And so Moses goes before God and he's like, I can't do this. And God says, do you know what? Don't worry, I'm going to share the load. And so you can see him, him putting his spirit on some other people as well. So to summarise, in the Old Testament, with very rare exceptions, God's spirit was limited to leaders and prophets to, to direct the people into God's will so that they would know what to do. But the prophets said that in the future, God was promising to pour out his spirit on all people. From being restricted to a certain group of people, God is saying, no, 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 I don't want that to be the case anymore. I want everybody to be able to experience this gift. For example, the prophet Joel predicted in Joel 2.28, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is written in the Old Testament, talking towards a future time when God is going to pour out his spirit and everybody's going to be able to experience this. Without What I love about this passage, without regard to age or gender or status or anything, everybody, everybody can receive this. And in this new promised area, the spirit of God is poured out on everybody. Everyone who has faith in Jesus receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have this gift to be received. But what is this gift? What am I talking about when I'm talking about this gift? It's all very well. It's like, what is it? Well, the Bible provides us with a number of different pictures of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is, can be mysterious. And because spiritual things are hard for us human beings to grasp sometimes, aren't they? It's so ethereal. How can I get my mind around the concept of the Holy Spirit? So God gave us a number of different pictures of the Holy Spirit. The term in English grammar is similes. Now that 
brings back my English A-level, and I was not in the talented group. Compare and contrast similes on Amatapeers. I still get a bit mixed up between all of them. Basically, the spirit is like this. This This is what the spirit is like. These are the pictures that the Bible gives us to help us know about the Holy Spirit. So what does the Bible say the Holy Spirit is like? Well, it says the spirit is like the wind. He is outside of our control. The Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament is the word ruach. And it can be translated not only as spirit, but as wind or breath. In the New Testament, which was written in Greek, the Greek word is pneuma, spirit. Now, regarding the wind, we've had a lot of wind recently. Man alive last night. Did anybody go to see fireworks last night? No, nobody. Well done. Well done, that one person. It was windy and rainy. But regarding the wind, you can't see it, but you can see the effects of the wind. And that is exactly what I was talking about with my parents. When I, when I talked about this Holy Spirit, you can't necessarily see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit because you can see the fruit of the Spirit. By the fruit, you will know the Spirit. You can see. Jesus uses the mystery of the womb to describe the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does when somebody is born again. Here's what Jesus said to a rabbi named Nicodemus in John 3 verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wills. Now this is the reason why so many people avoid the Holy Spirit and avoid even talking about the Holy Spirit or seeking more of the Holy Spirit in their life. And the truth is, because we're control freaks. Do you not think that's true? I want to stay absolutely in charge of everything. And so what we do, so this concept of the Holy Spirit, where we're saying, do you know what? God, you're in charge. We're like, no, 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 I'm in charge. And there's a big difference between those things. We don't like things that we can't, can't control. So when we're talking about this concept of the wind, it's like the wind. Well, we don't manage it. Now, when people visit our church and vineyard churches around the world, one of the things that they most comment on is this. You know, I was at one of your services and I had this experience of God and I can't explain it. Some of them will say, you know, I didn't really want to be there. My sister took me. My, my friend from work kept nagging me to come with her. I finally couldn't avoid it and I agreed because they were getting baptised or their child was getting dedicated. That's quite apt. Um, <laughs> and then completely unexpectedly during the singing portion of your service or while you were speaking, or when I came into the building, I felt God's presence and I started to cry. I became emotional. Something started happening in my heart. An experience of God is not something that we initiate. The coming of the Holy Spirit is not under human control. The Spirit's like the wind. You can't control him, and he comes at the initiative of Jesus. So secondly, the Spirit is like breath. And that he gives life. When God created Adam, here's what we read in Genesis 2 verse 7. 
Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God breathes and life comes into us. Breath in the Bible is life. You can take away breath and there's no life. Life, we die. And there's a really famous passage from the book of Ezekiel where we read this in Ezekiel 37. It says this, Then he said to me, prophesy to these, dry, to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Now, when we feel dried up or just going through the motions or uninspired, when church feels dried up, when worship becomes routine and becomes dull and uninspired, when any so-called spiritual activity becomes lifeless, what we need is not simply better thinking or better strategy. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need God to breathe on us and breathe life into us again. In the Psalms, it says, awake, O sleeper. That's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? In life, it's just like, I feel like I'm going through life, but I'm, I'm half asleep. Do you ever pray that way for yourself? Lord, I'm just lifeless. The lights are on, but there's nobody at home. I'm just going through the motions in my marriage or at work or in my small group or in prayer. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Breath of God, I need more of your spirit. Do you ever pray that way? Where you're like, you almost open yourself up and that's what I'm talking about. The Lord, you know, we can become a Christian and the Lord can come and live in our house. But unless we open ourselves up to him and say, God, come alive within me, then we can just shut him down. Holy Spirit, please come and fill me up. Do you ever pray that way for the church? Spirit of God, we need you to come. Would you breathe on us again? So the Spirit's like the wind. He's outside of our control. The Spirit is like breath. He gives life. And then the Spirit is like a dove that he signals new beginnings. We find doves in really interesting places in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is actually seen in the second verse of Genesis. You know, sometimes it's like, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, it's right there in the second verse. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When the rains that flooded the earth ended during the days of Noah, he sent out a dove three times. The first time, it came back to Noah because it couldn't find anywhere to, to rest. The second time, it grabbed an olive branch and came back to him but still couldn't rest. The third time, the dove had gone. It doesn't return. It apparently found a resting place. When Jesus is baptized, the spirit comes like a dove and it rests on Jesus. The picture of the dove in the Bible is not what we think about today. We generally think about peace don't we? When we think about the dove, we think, oh, peace. No, instead, the picture of the dove is sent to speak to us about a new creation. There's this, something new is happening. There's a new beginning, a new start. When a marriage rises from the ashes because God did something, there's the spirit like a dove, a new creation. When a person gets up from their hospital bed after years of sickness because God did something, there's the spirit like a dove, a new creation. When a person is living a broken life, marked by, I don't know, they've got in trouble with alcohol or drugs or addiction or traumatic experiences, and they meet God like we had in our baptism service a couple of weeks ago, and the testimonies were amazing. There's the spirit like a dove. It's a new creation. 
There are lots of other pictures of the Spirit in the Bible. The Holy Spirit's like fire to empower us. He's like water poured out on us, filling us to overflowing. He's like anointing oil, setting us apart for God. Just seeing how I'm doing for time. I think I've got about minus two minutes. You know, I've got another section, but I'm I'm going to finish. I want to finish with this. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift, the most amazing gift. He comes to make his home within us. And my encouragement is, and my experience is that if you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, you will begin to change. At moments, it's scary because you realize you're not in control. Because there is, you're putting God in control of your life. But when you really stop and think about that for a moment, putting God in control of your life, it's a brilliant idea. Why? Because you are not that brilliant at managing your life. I can say that categorically because I know. I know about my own life. I am not the best person to be in charge of my life. I genuinely believe God is the best person to be involved in my life. And so when I surrender and when I come before God and I just say, Holy Spirit, would you come alive inside of me? Would you fill me and would you guide me? My whole last section was really around this idea that the Holy Spirit is a guide. It talks about him being an advocate or a helper. And that what he comes to do is he comes to guide us into all truth. So all of us will be facing different circumstances in life. Some of it will be around your family or a relationship or the job that you're in. Who do you think knows best about those things in your life? The Holy Spirit. And it talks in the Bible about the Holy Spirit being the guide that will lead us into all truth. When you do not know what to do, what do we do? We go before the Lord and we say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Lord, would you guide me? This is the amazing gift that the Lord has sent us, this guide to be able to walk us through this life and to be able to help us to make decisions in order that we can look more like Jesus. So why don't we stand? For some of you, you haven't been here before, but what we do at the end of the service is we open ourselves up, you know, and we say, God, speak to us. We believe that God speaks today. It wasn't something that happened in the Bible in the past, that the Lord wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with each and every single one of us. And so what we do is we just create space, and I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Spirit of the living God, would you come right now? You're welcome in this place. For some of you, you just need to take a moment to surrender and to say, I don't know best. God knows best. This is a moment of putting him back on the throne and just saying, Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. Come right now.
all of the fullness that you talk about, this incredible gift that was available at Pentecost and that is available to us, we say, come right now. Do not hold back. Lord, where there is dryness, change it for streams of living water. Where there is apathy, turn it into desire. Where there is shame, turn it into wholeness. Where there is condemnation, turn it into freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, we want to be a free people. We don't want to live under shame. We don't want to live under condemnation. We want to live in freedom. And so right now we say, free us. If there's anything that is bringing shame or condemnation into your soul right now, why don't you just bring it before the Lord and just say, I am, I'm bound by this. I don't want to be bound by this anymore. I want to give you freedom. going to wait another 30 seconds and then I'm going to pray and finishing. Just ask the Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me this morning? Jesus, we say yes to you. Holy Spirit, we say come. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and to work for you and to look like you because you are glorious and 100% worth following. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the formal end of the service. Now, I know that some of you might well want to be prayed for please would you come up to the front some of you just like I just would love to be prayed for for more of the spirit or there's this thing going on we always want to have space but I'm also aware that the service has gone on if you've got kids and you want to go and get them um but please do come down to the front to be prayed for and um there's drinks downstairs and if you haven't said hello come say hello and we'll see you next week